0: welcome to the hot stove society radio show on cairo radio i'm tom douglas i'm the chef and i'm terry roturo
1: the chef in a hat
0: certainly are chef uh, i know we both uh, have restaurants here in town i have Sea c-town restaurant down at the north end area of the pike place market and uh we have combined right now Seatown town rub shack and uh etta's all together and doing lots of outdoor dining and lots of some indoor dining. Oddly, everyone all of a sudden wants to sit outdoors. Before, when we only had outdoors, they all wanted to sit indoors because <laughs> it was freezing out there. But, but now, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're doing our best to create more outdoor seating. And as a matter of fact, uh, on Wednesday, we reopened the Dahlia Bakery, Woo-hoo! which we're very excited about. We've got serious pie around the corner. And for the first time in the 32-year history of the Dahlia Bakery and Dahlia Lounge, we have outdoor seating. We have 10 tables outside in the little parklets that we built, and it's nice. very cool to look out the window and see, him, see everyone People kind of lined right. up. Yeah, It feels like, uh, what do they call that, cafe society out there? You, you know that, <laughs> yeah, Chef, because you have outdoor seating, but yeah. at Dahlia, we never did, yeah. so it feels like a cafe society. People just sipping on a like latte and having a little pastry and uh, pizza. Very cool. Yeah, it's super, super fun. And uh, here we are at the hot stove. Last night I did a class at the, at the warehouse. We did a, a steak grilling class. Do we have any uh, openings left for next week? Nope. Big nope. wait list. Big wait list on the steak grilling class. But uh, So it's super fun. It's a good and, one for
1: Father's Day. Yeah,
0: exactly. We have a big show. Uh, we have a peak of the season, strawberries, and that is right now uh, up in the Skagit. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, we're gonna talk with Tana Smith of Skowgart, owner of Sketch Own Fish Market about local fishing boats. When to preheat your pans. Erfram Fresha, owner of Boona Buna Coffee, joins us to talk about it. We have a you know, Terry, for the first time, we've always been a Starbucks house because I I, yep. uh, I started with them at Cafe Sport in nineteen even before Cafe Sport we were buying Starbucks, but nineteen eighty 281 something 80 somewhere in that area and uh, but for the first time we are offering a second coffee because we're trying to be uh intentional diversified. Uh, yeah not just diversified but intentional about our
2: purchasing and pamela do you
0: want to tell us a little bit about buna buna
2: i'm going to let Ephraim do that oh okay because it, he's coming here yeah
0: so uh it's an interesting uh, business and business model and so we're going to Talk about that. Carly Knowles, one of our favorite nutritionists, she's got the book, The Nutritionist Kitchens, is going to be here to talk about comfort food that is actually good for you. And lastly, we're going to play the Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Game. And uh, that's uh, that's going to be super fun because uh, we're going to be able to give away some rub. And my guess is Chef Terry is going to have to pay for the shipping today.
1: Uh, <laughs> Wait, last week was super tough. I went all the way. Him, I him. think this week I'm gonna be redeeming myself. Yeah, uh, oh, she pulled
0: the string on you last week. It's like you
1: are out of yeah, here. Yeah, one is not a number. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> all right, chef, what's your taste of the week?
1: Um, strangely enough, this week I had a I had I had a craving for sardines.
2: Oh yes.
1: My wife does not like sardines. She has no liking to it. She has no. So, you know, we've been married for, what, 32, 34 years now. And uh, uh, I never have sardines in the house because of that. Because, you know, it's, it's not very nice to buy stuff. And I'm not big on, on eating one thing and my wife eating something else. And I'm, I believe in eating a meal together. Well, just
0: eat one and then give her a kiss. And then you'll both eat the same thing.
1: <laughs> How <laughs> I don't gross. Think she would kiss me I know she wouldn't sardines. kiss you after that. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I got some sardines at the Metropolitan Market. Matiz, Matty's Matty's, uh, sardines, and I can't believe how delicious they are in olive oil, simple. I just, I just, I just forgot why I like them so much Mm. and why I've also, there's no way I'm going to wait another 34 years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Doesn't she go visit her mom in California once in a while or something like that? Then you (laughs) can just have sardines every night.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I had them. uh, She was actually not home and I had lunch and I was like, it was so delicious. I was like, oh my God. You know, it's like we have tuna all the time, tuna um, salad or whatever. I, love I like a nice tuna salad for lunch. Well, you know, sardines are just like, I mean, it's not that far apart. Right. It's a little bit different of a flavor, but it's very similar, and it's really delicious, and it's also really good for you. Look it up. I didn't make it up. It's Supposedly, it's really good for you.
0: Well, awesome. <laughs> all right. So you just ate them straight out of the tin, just picked them no, up. No,
1: I, I had them just like an nice was salad, except no potatoes, because I'm trying to be Good with my uh, little trying to lose weight, so mm-hmm. green beans, uh, lettuces from the garden, lots of basil, uh, lemon, and uh, sardines, mm. and and olives. I had a bunch of olives. Um, I tell you, that was that was scrumptious.
0: You know what I had yesterday, chef? For the first time in sixteen months. No. I had a Dahlia Bakery egg sandwich yesterday morning with ham and arugula. Remember when we had our audience here at the radio show, that was what came for breakfast every day. We would call in an order to the Dahlia Bakery across the street, and we'd all get those delicious uh, sandwiches. Well, they're back. Yeah. Yeah. Tara, our baker, is making the English muffins, and then Chef Eric is uh, on the griddle with uh, making, finishing the sandwich. And I had one yesterday, and. I didn't think about eating again until three o'clock yesterday afternoon, and then I was <laughs> then I was famished. But that is a rich, rich sandwich. And the other thing, my other taste of the week, uh, which I'm going to say, it was the beginning of my what I think is going to be my taste of the week in three weeks, oh, was boy. that Jackie brought over a case of uh, a tote of Prosser Farm baby turnips and greens. And yesterday I cleaned them up and I made uh, kimchi out of them. So I did a little, uh, oh, wow. I did a little uh, uh, Korean chilies, fish sauce, a little bit of honey, some water, uh, salt, a lot of salt, and then I vinegar? and no vinegar. I used a fish sauce instead. And so okay. then I put the you know I weighted weighted down the bucket on top of the turnips. I cut kind of, I cleaned them up and quartered them. So I'm thinking in about three weeks. They should be spicy and delicious, and I'm going to serve them with some broiled mackerel. To me, that spicy oh, turnip with broiled mackerels just sounds Ooh. awesome, and I can't wait. And that's going to be, if that's not my taste of the week in three weeks, then you'll know my experiment did not work out so good. <laughs>
2: I'm making a note of this so but
0: we
1: I, can
2: check back. I just had a craving
0: for mackerel, and, and that and I saw the turnips, and I was like, ah, I know exactly what to do with these.
1: So. And, and by the way, this represents how patient you are. Three weeks ahead, you're thinking of your lunch.
0: <laughs> well, not only that, but that's, a, that's new for me. You know, it also, will, in, a, in a funny way, represents how cooks think. It's right. like you know, just right. like you had a, 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 an inkling for sardines. I was having an inkling right. for mackerel. And it's, uh, right. we think like that. That's, that's what drives our day. Yep. Uh, okay, how to enjoy the bountiful crop of Washington strawberries that's coming our way. Let's uh, talk about that when we come back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. This is Cairo Radio. And uh, the chef in the chapeau, welcome, sir.
1: Bonjour, Tom. Bonjour, bonjour.
0: Happy Friday, by the way. Thank you. Uh, how's Luke been? This weather, you've been. Uh, oh you,
1: my uh, God, Luke is busy. I wish we had more seating.
0: You will soon. You know, it's yeah.
1: It's no, I know, I know. It's just I wish we had more seating for that restaurant because it's in demand. So I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, and uh, downtown is slowing, but sh- slowly but surely showing a little life. So I'm going to start looking into that a little bit.
0: Yeah. I well, think it's even uh, more more than slowly, personally. It's, it's really starting yeah. to pop. It's, uh, it's nothing like it was. I, I'll say that. But it's definitely not uh, COVID uh, the way it was yeah. in the beginning of COVID. When you could walk down 4th Avenue at 5 o'clock at night and not get hit by a car, you could walk in the middle of the street. Now you get your butt run over. <laughs> People honking at you. It's like it's back to the real city. Uh, let's talk strawberries, Chef. Uh, well, you and I both love yeah. uh, the local berry crop. I haven't had any from the schedule yet because we've uh, been eating the ones from our farm. And frankly, with getting the new Dahlia Bakery and new Serious Pie open, I just haven't had time. I've been working uh, a lot. Um, I can imagine. So w- three favorite things. What's your f- three favorite things to do with the local strawberry crop? And I'm going to guess. One is Vinegar. Uh, one yes. is you like to macerate them, which I hate macerated yep. fruit. And the last is in a salad with
1: fresh crab meat. No way. No really? way. <laughs> I, am not, I am not a fan of strawberry in salads, actually. I'm actually not. I like to, you know, I only eat strawberries this time of year. That's the only time I eat it. And I actually despise seeing strawberries in the store the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them local, and I like them when, like when we buy them right now. Um, I know, obviously, I was telling you at Met Market, they got this three-basket deal going on. And I tell you, these are real. They come, they have got dirt. You have to wash those strawberries. <laughs> They're full of, you know, that little sandy dirt. You definitely have to wash them at least a couple of times. And, um, you know, you don't soak strawberry. You just wash them.
0: You wash them, but you then them them you, you do have to kind of spread them out on a towel or they'll just disintegrate. Correct. Yeah.
1: Correct. And you have to be gentle because the strawberries that I'm buying are local and seasonal. They are ripe. They are ready to eat. They're not mm. the kind of strawberry you keep for three weeks in your refrigerator. None of that stuff. This is like the day of or the day after. That's it.
0: And never so in it, the refrigerator.
1: Never in the refrigerator. Right. Ex- actually, exactly. Except. When I'm ready to serve them, I flash them in the, in the refrigerator for probably five minutes so they can cool off a little bit and have a little bit of chill on it. Mm-hmm. Just a, I do the same thing with uh, melon. With all the fruits that are in the summertime, I usually do the same thing. Before I serve them for dessert, I flash them in the, in the refrigerator for a few minutes just to give it a little chill. But strawberry, um, either plain as is, cut, and use them as dessert or as just a, a bowl of fruit with some uh, anise ice up, diced julienne on top. Just those two things together with a little bit of honey, boom, you're done. Mm-hmm. You've got a wonderful dessert. Now, one of my favorite desserts when I can actually do it and I'm not on trying to lose weight is to do a nice little uh, genoise or pancake to go with my macerated strawberry. A macerated strawberry, or usually overnight. Um, Oh, no, not overnight, three, four hours with a little bit of sh- vanilla sugar and some Julian, either uh, Julian basil or Julian anise Sap again, mm-hmm. tarragon. I like those herbs to be in there. And then put that right on top of a uh, Genoise or pancake, piece of pancake with a little bit of whipped cream, vanilla whipped cream. And, you know, that syrup that's on there is so delicious. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets so, so delicious. And then the third way is to just put them in red wine vinegar with cracked peppercorn, uh, a little bit of c- cinnamon stick. Um, and then what you do is you take that wine first and you bring it to a boil. Then you cool it down. Then you put the strawberries in it. So you have a, a, a vinegary spiced, uh, you have a spiced vinegar, mm-hmm. and then you put your strawberries in there, um, cut over uh, probably three, four hours again, and then take them out of there and serve that as a, as a soup appetizer with a little bit of julian prosciutto on top or something of that nature now that's really nice now you it's really interesting right.
0: that you would say you would never have a strawberry in a salad but you just did everything to that strawberry that would go in a salad except for the salad greens
1: yeah i i just for yeah. some reason i am not a fan fine. of the strawberry flavor in my salad yeah greens and salad i'm not a big fan but i do the prosciutto julian with uh, with the uh, pickled strawberries that's really uh,
0: So my favorite thing to do is I love making freezer jam. So I I love strawberry Mm -hmm. freezer jam. And that's one of the few things I can think of that is constant in my life. My grandmother made it. My mother made it. I make it. My sisters make it. Uh, It's just um, a typical thing to have on our table. Uh, The other thing, uh, my father always loved chopped strawberries on vanilla ice cream just plain, he would eat mountains of it, and uh, that, that was just something special, and we would always go to the U-Pick, and uh, good, cheap entertainment for the kids, and it was cheap for my father, because we ate half the strawberries before we had to pay for them, so uh, he, liked, he, he kind of liked that. I mean, it's, that was that classic thing where you're busted, right, because all your kids' are, lips are all red. On, kids. And, yeah. Eat! <laughs> <Exactly>. eat. <laughs> uh, and then my mother always made strawberry shortcake, and, you know, to me, a good biscuit is really a fun thing to make she always used uh you know as a quick hitter for her she used this thing called bisquick
2: Pamela, did you ever have that in your family? I'm thinking about buying it again. Are
0: you? Yeah. We use that a lot in my family for pancakes, for waffles, for shortcakes, you know, for all that. And that was a staple in our house. But, uh, of course, uh, I like to make my own biscuits. Uh, Making biscuits or scones or shortcakes is uh, super fun, easy, uh, organic. You know, it just feels right to to have a warm biscuit uh, with Mm -hmm. the strawberries. What Jackie, my wife, does uh, with our strawberry crop, she likes loves making ice cream, and she likes turning it to order, so or spinning it, uh, yeah. you know, to order, right? So she'll make ice cream bases, and they'll be in the freezer. Like right now, she'll have six or eight pints of strawberry ice cream base, which is the creme anglaise, the strawberries, yeah, you know, yeah. all all ready to go, and she'll freeze it, mm. and then she thaws that. Uh, like if she knows she's going to have it for dinner tonight, she'll pull it out in the morning when we're making coffee, and then that'll just go in the fridge and. By the time the night comes, she won't even make it before dinner. She makes it before dessert. Oh, so uh, we get done oh. dinner, and then she takes it over to the ice cream spinner, and and we'll make the ice cream. So it's, it comes out as kind of soft serve in a funny way, but that's her favorite way to have it. And frankly, I would never bother. I would never waste it. I'd buy a pint of hagen strawberry ice cream first. But she loves the process, uh, and that's uh, I'm fine with well, that. Well,
1: fresh churn, Tom, fresh churn ice cream is definitely the – I mean, you're on the top of ice cream quality and standard here.
0: Oh, no doubt, you know, if you, no doubt.
1: If you can, if you can churn your ice cream just before you eat it, you've got the best texture ice cream in the world. I mean, that's like that's top.
0: She's more discerning in her taste than I am. I will say she is. Um, she would <laughs> never. She's a little bit like you, chef. She would never deign to have junk food, except for her. Her little weakness is jalapeno Cheetos. That's that's her weakness. Hey, you know if what? you ever want to just something. say, "Hey, don't be holier than don't don't get holier than thou with me, Miss Cheeto Eater." <laughs> uh, that's how you get my wife. So,
2: <laughs> there's a little controversy about refrigerating strawberries because I looked at the Washington Strawberry Commission site, and they want them refrigerated until you're ready to use them. Yeah. But I, I have never had good luck. They seem to shrivel in the air of the refrigerator. That's because the refrigerator
0: has a fan, right? It's blowing all the time, right. and it does exactly that. It dehydrates them and shrivels them. Here's the thing. Exactly. When you buy a pint of strawberries, if you're not man or woman enough to, to eat the whole <laughs> damn thing, then you should just bow out. Just, there's like no... That.
1: Right? <laughs> Snap. No, Yeah, no, just no, bow no, out. Don't... don't. You know, don't buy them before you go out of town. Buy them when you're back in town yeah. and ready to eat.
0: And on the way you home know, from like, the market, we, eat half the yeah. basket, and then have the rest for dinner. All
1: any right. Good, any any good fruit or berry should be picked before you eat, not, you know, three days before or whatever.
0: All right, Terry, up next, uh, Tana smith Scalgard is here. She's the owner of Skagit's Own Fish Market, and she's going to talk about sourcing her fish from some of the local boats here on the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, and you're smack dab in the middle of it. I'm Tom Douglas.
1: And I'm Terry Roturo the chef in a hat.
0: And Terry, we're going to head up north. We just talked about strawberries from the Skagit area. And now we're going to head up to, to talk to Tana Smith Skalgard, the owner of Skagit's Own Fish Market is going to talk about how she sources her fish. Uh, we know uh, personally that she's one of our good rub resellers, uh, and uh, we're thankful to have her on the show. Hi, Tana. Hello.
3: Hi, Tana. thank you for having us.
0: Absolutely. Tell us about your shop and how you go about your business and all the good things that are happening up in, in the Skagit area.
3: Well, our little business, um, the location we're in, we've been here about 20 years. It started about 35 years ago. Um, I is we Bering Sea Fisherman. He is now retired and here with me full time at the store. And we started doing some retail. Um, We had bought a commercial Bunginette crab boat uh, here for the Puget Sound. And we had a lot of gear and stuff at home. And we came home one day and one of our neighbors had brought over a bottle of wine and said, (laughs) we want to buy some of your products. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling as far as doing some retail. Um, we had a shop that came in a couple of days a week, and that turned into a farmer's market. And then we decided we needed one location and picked it here on Highway 20 and sell our own products, as well as other commercial fishermen that we knew in the business, New York see, Fisheries is one of our, our people that deliver to us on a regular basis, especially during the winter. Um, and then several other salmon fishermen, crab fishermen, and oystermen in the area.
0: So exciting. I, got, I love the idea that you're out there helping to support some of these uh, family boats uh, make a living because uh, I think sometimes people forget that you know fishing in the sea is like farming on the land. It's the same idea, but often done by small family groups.
3: It is, and you know, it's nice to be able to um, sell a local products, support small business, um, the local fishermen and oystermen here. Uh, our customers really like it. They like to know where their food's coming from, um, how it's caught, how it's processed, and cared for. You know, during delivery from boat to store, and we try to do the best we can and try to bring the freshest product we can. Our area.
1: So, what is what is really really hot right now? Like, what's coming in? This, I mean, I'm, do you get halibut? Do you get all these different fishes?
3: We we do um, on a regular basis. We usually have twelve to fourteen fresh fish in our fish case. Right now, uh, of course, halibut um, we're bringing in from Alaska has flown in. Our local king salmon that's um, pretty prevalent right now, um, as well as sockeye. We probably. Um, and crab, uh,
0: local shrimp, local spot prawn, things like that. Sounds good, does <laughs> I'm already. I'm already. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm already, like, yeah exactly. Uh, I saw some local spot big. prawns yesterday for the first time this season, and uh, they were big and and plump looking, and uh, just lovely. And my favorite way to cook those is I split them right down the back of the shell, and I a lot of times they'll have the row uh, on uh, what we call the little fin or little leg area on, underneath uh, the the prawn itself. And I, I butterfly the shrimp and just pop that row right through the back of the shrimp so that when I put it on a hot grill, the row kind of sizzles and crispens up and gets nice and salty, and it goes great mm. with that the lovely shrimp meat. So, mm.
2: What about rockfish, Tana? That's uh, my new favorite.
3: Yes, we do. Um, it's one of our top sellers. We do get it fresh four or five times a week and several species. Um, you know, there's a lot of different rockfish out there, and We do mostly filet. We try to do some of the smaller ones whole for people that would like to do the roasting or smoking of of a whole fish. Um, It's a great, versatile fish. Um, We sell quite a bit of it.
0: If you wanted to put that on the grill, Pamela, I don't know if you've ever done that or not, but those those one to two pound rockfish are great on a charcoal grill. You simply... uh, Take the whole fish, and you make some slices, maybe diagonal slices, along the thickest part of the body on both sides, right through the skin. And so you expose some of the meat. Because what you want to do is you want to kind of make it a level playing field all across that fish. You want Mm. the thicker part to to cook as fast as the thinner part. And then uh, I know Chef Terry and I both love to stuff the belly with some fennel fronds, some lemons, some thyme, you know, whatever, huh, Chef? What What else would you... All
1: kind of fresh herbs.
0: Yeah. Lemon verbena. Yeah, then just tie it up, right? Tie it up and yep. olive yep. oil it and then pop it right on the grill. And I would go, especially your first or couple, two times or so, I would go on indirect heat. Uh, Good call. Some people, uh, like myself, I would probably put it on the hotter heat to get it started, to get a nice crust on the fish, and then move it over to indirect to kind of bake it and finish it. Uh, but,, mm-hmm. uh, if I was just for the first couple of times playing with a whole fish, I would go indirect heat or at least work the edge of the heat, not directly over the the hot fire so
1: yeah, good advice tom that 's exactly how you should do it
0: so, so Tana uh, tell us about one a couple of your favorite boats and your stories about um uh, some of your fishermen friend because that 's what i when I go up to your shop that 's what I want to hear is I want to hear some. Some of these fishing stories, or maybe even your husband's uh, stories from being a crab fisherman.
3: Well, he has lots of stories from the Bering Sea. He spent 27 years up there. Um, wow. I had mentioned uh, Nurka frozen-at-sea salmon. They're a local family, um, been doing it for many, many years, a couple generations now. And they do troll-caught king salmon and coho salmon out of Alaska. They also do a technique with their fish that is called catheter bleeding. That makes a great texture in the fish, uh, keeps the fish from going into rigor mortis, keeps it nice and tender, no mineral taste in the flesh. And we've really enjoyed selling their product now going on seven or eight years. And they um, deliver to us uh, three or four times a week during the wintertime. So that's a a great family there. Like I said, we've been doing business with them for, for many years. And then we also have a couple of troll fishermen off the coast of Washington that do deliver uh, king salmon and coho salmon during the season to us. They fish usually off the coast quite a few miles, and they deliver their own catch. comes in and we inspect it, take care of it very nicely, and present it to our customers. We also, right now, have a couple of shrimp fishermen that deliver coon stripes, side stripes, and pink shrimp to us. Mm. They're also local families out of Anacortes, been doing it many, many years. They uh, bring their shrimp live, and we uh, cook them a special way. that has been going on for many years. It's a highly anticipated season here in our area in the state of Washington. And then the spot prompt for us will start soon and those same family boats that we buy our, our local shrimp from they'll switch over and they also come in live if people would like to have them pulled or cooked the way we do so sell them both ways
0: terry i was at uh, mutual fish the other day and i i saw the the big uh, truck come in with the tanks on the back and the oxygen tank that with the aerating machine and getting a mm-hmm. crab a, a live crab and spot prawn delivery and uh, you know, that, that is such a process to get uh, these fish stores, whether it's Wajamaya Mutual or, or Tana Shop or whatever. That's such a process to get live seafood right. to the marketplace.
1: I mean, it's definitely a big job. It's a big job. And also, there is a lot of uh, damage. I mean, there is, some of them die. They don't make it through. So mm-hmm. you get waste. You get all this. And, but live crab, live shrimp, live anything, good.
0: So here's my suggestion to our listeners, Terry. I I I had to cut you off because we have to finish this up. Uh, To me, it would be a great time right now to go up to the Skagit Valley, find a you-pick strawberry place... And then head over to Tana's shop. She's going to tell us where it's located. And then grab some either some smoked fish for a picnic or some fresh fish to take home. I'm sure she'll give you a little bag of ice to get it home with. And, uh, Tana, where is your store? And, and uh, is there a U-Pick strawberry place nearby? That would be a super fun day trip.
3: There is. Yeah, we are located at 18042 Highway 20 in Burlington, Washington. We're just west of I-5, about a quarter mile. And um, we do have a local strawberry farm, several of them, actually, um, from the farm. Uh, of, uh, Checking and Exit on the I-5 is a great place to go. They have been doing it many, many years. They also have a superb homemade shortcake that is uh, oh, one, we something you really want to pick up. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. All right. So yeah. the, name of, the name of the shop is Skagit's Own Fish Market. Go say hi to Tana. She's been on the show and she's now an expert radio personality. Yes. And uh, uh, have a good day and spend the afternoon. it, it's a beautiful place to explore. Thanks, Tana. Thank,
3: thank you, you Tana, guys very night. much for having us. I, I
0: enjoyed it yeah. and I listened
3: to your show on a regular basis. And thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for carrying yeah. our Rub With Love product line also. Okay, let's right. talk hot pans. Bye, Pre-heated Tana. Preheated pans make a difference. We're gonna talk about that on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Welcome back. It's time for a continuation of the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. We have a bit of an odd segment coming up because our producer, Pamela, is a bit odd. Uh and so, Pam, how did we get to the hot pan segment? What's uh what's going on? By the way, I'm Tom Douglas and my pal Chef Terry Rotero in the chapeau is over there in Madison Valley.
1: I just like how you're trying to blame Pam for the next segment. I like that.
2: In case you guys
0: can't pull it off. (laughs) I I think it's important here because sometimes we take things for granted. Like you and I both know about hot pans, right? It's not something I would have even thought about. But sometimes the home cook doesn't know, uh, right? Yeah, this is
2: new territory for me. And I saw this article in the Seattle Times. Know how and when to preheat your skillet to avoid a sticky situation. And uh, the background being... That on a microscopic level, metal is not a naturally smooth surface. Uh, Cheatham, the uh, author, compares it to a mountain range with peaks and valleys. Those holes and cracks are where food can stick. The solution is to preheat the pan, which closes those gaps to help create a smoother surface. Boom! So it clo- it's, it, he suggests that it closes the gaps in the
0: pan. Somehow it smooths out the pan to and, be hot? Yes,
1: Metal. Yeah, because metal expand, metal expand when it gets hot.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, Terry's our scientist. Simple,
1: ex- simple explanation. <laughs>
2: there you go. But um, <laughs> I think the other eye-opening experience for me was a cauliflower recipe that had you preheat the sheet pan. So when you're doing a cauliflower mm-hmm. steak, uh, have that pan ready and sizzling in the oven so that you get a jump on your browning. You know,
0: I think that's you know generally good advice. I do think it's a little bit overblown. You could just use a hotter oven, and it would brown up beautifully too. Uh, uh, because it's, to me, it's a little bit. Sometimes what people do is they'll heat that little cookie sheet, right? Which is uh, the gauge is probably what sixteen gauge or something like that. It's super right. thin, right. maybe maybe right. twelve gauge, and then they pull it out to put everything on top of it. And by the time they pull it out, and then put it back. It's cold again, right? It's like the people that put their martini glasses in the freezer... And then they pull them out of the freezer when they start to make their martini. And you can see the frost is all just melted Melted off by the time you're done making a martini for four or six people. And so you leave the martini glass in the freezer until everything is made. Then you pull it out and serve it in the frosty glass, right? So the same thing with the hot pan. I personally would put in a cast iron pan, not a cookie sheet, into the oven. Right. And that's going to hold your heat, right? That's going to hold the heat. And then when you put your cauliflower in, yes, it will uh, get Start the process right away, especially on a 450-degree pan like you would be have having for a roasted vegetable. Chef, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I'm 100% with you, and it's exactly what I would have said. If you use a thin cookie sheet, you don't need to worry about pre-warming that because no. it's, it's going to be useless by the time you get back to the oven. However, like Tom, if you use a very thick pan, uh, cookie sheet or cast iron or whatever – then it is worth putting in the oven because when you take it out of the oven, especially if you've done it correctly, when you put your ingredients in that pan, it is searing and smoking already. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you throw that in the oven, it's got definitely a good head start and it will be giving you a much better sear, especially on your roasted cauliflower or things like these vegetables in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get a better sear for sure. But in general, people don't have that kind of heavy um, cookie sheet in the oven they usually have a, a thin uh, aluminum pan and those are you don't need to worry about it I would be just like Tom put it at 450 instead of 400 crank it really high and make sure you toss it around every you know five minutes and you toss your vegetable around so they don't burn but other than that I would just yeah,
0: yeah. the caveat just, to that is one of the great things about the cookie sheet side of that is Chef, and I think you'll agree is that now you don't overcrowd your pan, right? And which is another like. problem with roasting vegetables is that people want to put it in too small a pan and it's crowded and then they just steam on top of each other. With the cookie Correct. sheets let you spread it out a bit.
1: Now let's talk about why you warm up your saute pan, which is a different story to me. Yes. There is no way in the world I would saute anything without warming up my pan. It would never come to my mind to take a saute pan, put it on the stove and throw some food in it right away. That never, ever, ever crossed my mind.
2: Well, that's a it's secret always- you chefs keep. you got it to tell us. So <laughs>
1: you turn on, you turn on the heat underneath the pan. You leave the pan and then you get whatever you have to put in that pan. Stay away from that pan until that pan, especially if it's a, a thick stainless steel pan, wait till that pan is scorching hot so when you throw in whatever you're going to put in there it's going to accomplish what you're trying to do which is getting a sear you know you go into a restaurant and the one of the comments i hear the most about scallop is oh my god they're they're so nice and crusty how do you get that crust it's like well we wait till the pan is so hot and then instead of putting oil in the pan or whatever what we do is we toss the scallop in olive oil so you know, it's got a nice little coating of olive oil on the scallop. Then we put the scallop in the pan, and that's plenty enough of fat to just keep that scallop from just searing and giving a nice crust. And you don't need any other fat. At the end, once you remove the scallop, once they're cooked and seared, you remove the scallop, and then you can put a nugget of butter in that pan, it some shallots, little white wine, whatever you want to do with the, If you want to make a little sauce, but at the beginning, it's just basically try to avoid. I definitely, I see people do that often at home, put a pan on the fire, put their fat in there, turn the fire on, and then, you know, they wait five minutes. Well, your fat is completely destroyed, especially if it's olive oil or if it's just a regular oil. Uh, You know, if you use maybe pork fat, maybe that's different, but, you know, it's because it it will resist the heat. But you just have to wait and be patient. Make sure your pan is hot if you're trying to sear anything. That would be my uh, Advice, Tom?
0: Well, I, I definitely agree with you, and I think there's, uh, you know, there's some uh, travails if you if you kind of uh, put the oil before the horse, so to speak. And I love your idea of tossing the scallops. Now we know that that entire scallop is covered in oil, so that's that's good. Uh, but right. uh, a lot of times. When you tell people to get the uh, sauté pan scorching hot, and then they put vegetable oil in there, something like that. Next thing you know, you've got smoke and maybe a grease fire on your stove, and you've right. got burnt right. fat that you that will taste acrid. Uh, you know, it's one thing in a Chinese restaurant to have a you know ninety thousand BTU wok burner. And, you know, you're getting it up and now you're getting the breath of the walk. And that flavor profile is part of the flavor profile of the food. But at home, let's just say you're making veal scallopini or your, your pan-searing sweet uh, snap peas, right? Where you want a more fresh taste uh, mm-hmm. instead of a burnt oil taste. Uh, that's, that's a problem. Uh, last night in my in my steak grilling class, uh, the Hot Stove Society out the, uh, Outdoors at the Warehouse, um, we were taking the beef fat that I trimmed off of the steaks, uh, New York fat or whatever, rendering that in the cast iron pan first and giving me yeah. a nice smoky t- beef tallow flavor right. before I ever my steak ever touched the pan. So I, right. I literally flavored my beef fat. And then I cooked my steak in that beef fat. So there's lots of ways to use a hot pan that can help you be a better cook. And, but there's ways yeah. to ruin it real fast, too.
1: Well, especially if you're trying to saute something that's really wet, like mushroom. Mushroom is the biggest pet peeve for me. Uh, you know, it's like mushroom is full of water. You need to have a hot pan before you put your mushroom in that pan, or you will have a soup in your hand. Yeah, I,
0: I, agree you, a, I agree with you. I agree with you, chef. You're sort to of. Make a
1: soup, if you're trying to make a soup, that's one thing. If you're trying to get the juice, yeah. that's another thing. There you go. But if you're trying to get a sear on mushroom where they have that nice little crusty brownish kind of flavor, color, y- you can only accomplish that by having either a pan that's hot or make sure that you stay away from that pan until you put the mushroom in there and don't overcrowd your pan, yes. that's the other, yes. the other thing. So.
0: And you want your mushroom. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for out of your mushroom, right? If you're making a mushroom right. gravy, you want them totally cooked, then go ahead. You can start at any oh, yeah, temperature. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Exactly. But you'll never get the brown that you'll get off of the hot sear first and then reduce them down, right? And right. that's what you see right. all the time. You say, put it in, get a little sweat or get a little brown, and then turn your heat down because that color is adding flavor. So that's, right. uh, that's our theory on hot pans. We say start with them. And finish with them, right? And then uh, and learn,
1: learn, learn to work with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like right. uh, people always say, "How do you get to be a good cook?" And they say, "Well, how do you get to be a good piano player? How do you get to be a good soccer player?" You practice, right? Practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to do some of these techniques. You don't just walk in and cook dinner for twelve and expect everything to come out perfect without a little practice. <laughs> Up next, we got another whole hour. Uh, We're going to be talking about Buna Buna Coffee. Of course, we're going to have our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, We've got uh, some pleasing brunch ideas for Father's Day. All sorts of good stuff here on Cairo Radio. The Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's hour number two of the Hot Stove Society radio show. I don't know how you get it from our microphones to your ears, whether it's in your garden, whether it's in your car, whether it's a podcast or you're sitting there making dinner. But we appreciate that uh, we can spend these two hours together. That's super fun for Terry and I. I know it's uh, two of my favorite hours of the week, huh, chef?
1: Absolutely, Tom. It's, I, I would never exchange that for anything. Yeah, super
0: fun uh okay we got another whole hour so uh we're going to talk about uh, some pleasing brunch ideas for dad and uh, you're a dad uh, uh terry so uh, i'm going to want to hear about what your sons are making for you carly knowles the author of the nutritionist kitchen is going to join us to talk about comfort food that actually makes you feel good makes you feel comfortable instead of feeling guilty all the time <laughs> uh we've got our rub with love tasty trivia a challenge and uh we're going to talk with the owner of Buna Buna Coffee uh, in a few minutes. So let's start with some brunch ideas. Uh, Terry, uh, if I were to talk to your sons tomorrow and say, um, you know, all your dad really wants for Father's Day, and I tell my daughter this all the time, it's like, you want a nice card, I don't want a tie, you know, and make me something to eat. Sharing, uh, yeah. sharing a meal that you've taken the time to cook, you've taken the time to shop for, for a family member is, uh, I think, super awesome.
1: I, I am 100% with you. I just want to see them, be with them, and have them make a little lay on bringing something to the table. I'm going to bring the liquids. They already know that. <laughs> orange so juice? You Is that what you're saying? You're
0: going to bring the orange juice and coffee? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now we, that was when they were younger. Now we can start with champagne and go on from oh, there. Okay. Um, no cocktails yet. It's a bit early in the day. But um, I'm looking forward to them coming over and you know, always um, bringing you know, to me When I think Father's Day, this time of year, it's always these three main items asparagus, salmon, and um, strawberries. So those things are in season. Those things are here now, they're local. So I'm hoping maybe a little smoked salmon. And they know what I like. You know, they know what I like as a. I don't want to make it too complicated for them. I want them to be successful at it. And I want them to not be, you know, turned away from doing it. But, you know, a little griddle asparagus with. which are room type. You let them cool off a little bit, a little more of lemon olive oil dressing and some smoked salmon on top and makes that a nice little appetizer and um, have a nice salmon for entree, grilled salmon that's been um, marinated with a bunch of olives and lemon, you know, one of my favorite things to do. Olive mm-hmm. <laughs> tap and that and mm-hmm. I've said that before, um, but that's the way I like my salmon uh, to be safe, especially if they're going to be the one grilling it. I'm obviously going to be with them, but you know, the number one tool I bring out, the number one tool I bring out, and listen to this, the thermometer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I give it to them, and I said, look for Don't 120. Don't overcook
0: my salmon. <laughs> once we get to 120
1: in the middle, put it out. Yeah. That's my salmon. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's, that's what I look forward to, and they're probably going to do some potatoes and, you know, just a few garnishes to that. But it's like a – our brunch is more like a lunch than a brunch um, – we're not really, you know, I mean, I'm trying not to be eating croissants and stuff like that. Otherwise, man, I would be definitely devouring that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably would make a nice little stop on Mercer Island at uh, La Fête Patisserie and get their pain au raisin, which is, oh, my God, so delicious. Mm. You know, one of those. And, and that would be definitely my idea of a branch would be to start with that and then move on to champagne and then, you know, sit down and have a normal lunch, like two-hour lunch and you know, just nice and calm, and nice conversation, and just fun to be around. And right. the best gift is the presence of your children. So,
0: Pamela, you—you uh, you never got to know your dad, so your your birth dad so much. But uh, did you used to make any special treats for um, uh, Miller, your stepdad?
2: He was a very simple man, and his favorite dish was milk toast. What does that mean? <laughs> He, he loves warmed-up milk, a little bit of sugar, and soaking a piece of sliced white bread. <laughs> and so that's what you made him on Father's Day? Yep. Oh, my it God. It was his favorite. You didn't
1: even, you didn't even try to add that a little bit? Like, maybe a little creme anglaise or something? like. <laughs>
2: and he really preferred canned peaches over fresh. So when... Um, Another top favorite was canned peaches and cottage cheese. So ah. It was a big day. Mm. Oh, wow. That is Tom's
1: favorite. That is, that is Tom's favorite right there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Making brunch for Millard. That is very interesting. And he was named after Millard Fillmore, the president. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Interesting. Um, for me, uh, my dad loved breakfast. The weirdest thing that I look back on now, though, is that uh, he always liked his bacon rare you know what I mean by that, Chef? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, uh, like, I haven't had a piece of rare bacon since he passed away, I don't think, or even (laughs) long before that. But he would literally kind of just take the bacon, put it in the pan, and warm it. And he would think anything more than that was, was overcooked. And so I, that was one of those things that it was hard. Even as a kid, when I would make you know breakfast in bed or something for my folks, it was hard for me to make bacon that was not overcooked for them because it just grossed me out. That
2: sounds terrible.
1: He must, he must have had a very hard time going to diners or any restaurants in America because yeah. uh, that's not something you find.
0: Yeah, exactly. But my favorite uh, homemade breakfast, uh, if my daughter was coming over, Loretta, to make me... Uh, uh, brunch on Saturday or Sunday this week, uh, she would bring over Hercules, the, my new grandson, and sit him, sit him in the, the little car seat on the table, and
1: would she you like would to let everybody know the real name.
0: The what? I don't know what you're you talking like to about. Let everybody
1: knows your grandson's name. I don't
0: know what you're talking about. Hercules.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> it comes with its own theme song. Uh, anyway, uh, I have a recipe in my first book called Mr. Joe's Tomato Gravy. And it is like a Creole-style gravy where you kind of saute the onions and garlic in the pan with some, uh, you know, peppers or whatever. And then you flour that to make a little bit of a roux, right? You just uh-huh. sprinkle a little flour in to make that roux, and you cook it, and it's all cooked in bacon fat. And then you add a can of tomato sauce to that, so it becomes tomato gravy. And mm-hmm. I love that on a piece of buttered toast. And in my, in my book, it's uh, in Seattle Kitchen, uh, I serve that with a piece of pan-fried catfish. Some strips of crispy bacon, and then I topped the whole thing off with fried artichokes. And that to me is a dough. Del- I was
1: expecting, I was, I was expecting a, a soft boiled egg on top, like a No, no, really no, like no, no no, right no, 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 no. I'm not. No,
0: no, no. You're more the egg guy than me. I'm not, I'm not the. I okay. mean, I like eggs fine, but uh, that's not something I would feature on top of my tomato toast. But it it's, but
1: still that uh, sounds really delicious.
0: Mr. Joe uh, Ruchling, he was a neighbor. We'd run through the backyard, go up to his house, and on Saturday mornings he would make tomato toast, and it was none of my sisters liked it at all, and I loved it. Of course, I didn't. I loved everything pretty much. It- <laughs> 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 but um, I used to really enjoy going up there, and I did an ode to Mr. Joe in my book, and uh, that tomato gravy, and to this day. Um, I know if you really care about me as my daughter, uh, and my, my grandson Hercules, that that's what you would make me. You would know that about me, that that's, uh, that's what you should pull out and, and score big points. So. Alright, up next, it's Buna Coffee Time on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. we're back it's the hot stove society show on cairo uh tom douglas here
1: and terry wrote the chef in the hat
0: and terry we have a lovely gentleman here in our studio how do you say it ephraim fasaha fasaha yes. that's uh
1: it's hard Fisaha.
0: hard for me for some reason yeah it's the simplest junior yeah the fbi man <laughs> oh yeah that's true <laughs> famous okay. movie star exactly uh <laughs> Uh, you have a company called Buna Buna Coffee, yes, and uh, yeah. we, uh, are, as a company, are trying to be more intentional in our purchases and trying to support more uh, BIPOC businesses and things like that, and your name came up, and we tried the coffee and loved it and decided Appreciate that it. we wanted to partner. You know, you're you the first people in the 32 years I've been in my own business, uh, that first coffee that we've served that wasn't Starbucks in all these years. That is an honor. I've uh, been friends with the Starbucks folks for, forever, and so... Uh, Thank you for being part of our team
4: now. Oh, I'm, I'm honored, honestly. Yeah. You know, when I first got started, it was 2011, mm-hmm. and I had this idea, and I took it to a few banks to try raising money. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how are you going to beat out Starbucks? <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, that's not the goal. That's not right. the goal, you know. Um, right. Just a different approach, different style, and a different way to it. So it's yeah. it's honor to be here Uh, truly, and uh, I'm really grateful for it. So thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I'm
0: grateful for it, too, and I'm hoping that you're just the first of many people that we can partner with uh, to spread the love around, right? To spread and, and make it a more loving, level playing field for everyone out there in the marketplace. Truly, so, truly, truly, okay. appreciate and uh, it. What, what's awesome, you know, the, the, the nice thing that comes with that—it's great coffee. So, tell us about the, where the name comes from, yeah. and your your uh, your business idea, and your theory about uh, how you operate your business, and your team that came to
4: teach our team about your coffee was great. Oh, that's awesome! We loved <laughs> hanging out with them. So, uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah. So, the name Boon or Boonas is a great great place to start. The name Boon. Or buna is how we say coffee in East Africa. So in Ethiopia, Eritrea, parts of Somalia, um, into Sudan, bun or buna is used to say coffee. And the word coffee itself comes from a village in Ethiopia called Kaffa. And Kaffa, Ethiopia, is the birthplace of coffee. So "boon buna, coffee is really just saying coffee, 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 because I'm not that creative. And then at the same time, though, it provides that depth of knowledge and you know, information that I think is important to kind of show that the origins of where coffee comes Mm -hmm. from. And so that was kind of the the start of it, the genesis of it. And then in addition to that, it was then, okay, let's focus on African coffees, because, you know, obviously, we know Brazilian coffees, and Colombian coffees, which are all incredible, but they're much more further along development in the coffee industry than uh, the continent of Africa is. And so a lot of it is based off of, you know, Tom, you've got your farm of like five trees. I've got my farm of three trees. Mm-hmm. We take bushels of that and we take it back to Washington Station, prepare it, and then get it out. And so really what happens is that uh, they're not able to really capitalize as much as individual producers uh, because they're all kind of you know, putting it all together and, mm-hmm. and then doing it. And so uh, I saw that there was much more potential and opportunity in kind of focusing on Africa, spotlighting it spotlighting a lot of the different producers that are there there's a lot of great folks doing great things and it's just about putting no different than you're doing that for us with you know putting a little bit of spotlight here for us mm-hmm. it's the same for them as uh, is what we're trying to do so you can get that small and individual you can get
0: five bags of coffee from this guy and you know uh, 10 bags from that guy is is that how micro
4: it is it, it can be it's it's working to that point it yeah. wasn't in ethiopia which once again is the birthplace of coffee it's it's not at that point. Okay. It's working to that point now. Okay. Um, everyone would kind of contribute as a village or as a region or as an area and then bring it to a washing station where it would be prepared and then put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this case, though, what we're finding is that as we're getting closer and closer uh, to the source and as the rules are changing as well uh, for the producers to engage in that kind of uh, business – that it is happening now more so and so we are we're 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 pretty much getting closer.
1: Yeah, so is it like a cooperative kind of idea like mm-hmm. everybody participates bring the whole the village all get together and bring the beans together and then sell it as one product?
4: Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so the growers agree on a price per pound and or it 's kind of the washing station that kind of determines that, and then the exporter, the broker you know there 's other folks that kind of determine the value of that product uh, as those you know producers start bringing it to the washing station. They start to evaluate it and say okay for this we 're going to give you so much I see yeah so yeah, so uh,
0: what 's some those, of the characteristics of the ear train coffee or mm-hmm. Kenyan coffee or Ethiopian coffee. Or what yeah. what is what is Africa bringing to the table? Because, like for example, I love the Sumatra, that kind of that rich, f- yeah, flabby kind of coffee, yeah. right? What does Africa bring to the table? Uh, and it's a big yeah. country. I don't mean it like that. But, yeah, 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 yeah,
4: yeah. No. Like, so, for example, in Ethiopia, primarily, and of course, it, we get very nerdy, and we can get, very, you know, there's there's a lot of details to it. But I mean, in Ethiopia, a lot of blueberry comes out of it. A lot of fruits uh, come out of their coffees, and so the durfetus that's here on espresso is very much that. It's a natural process. So, uh, you know, the, the skin is left on, the bean a little bit longer, ferments a little bit more, so the blueberry comes out a lot stronger. Um, if you go to Kenya, you kind of find this like, uh, because of the lava, the uh, the ground there, you find more uh, earth uh, flavors to it. And so you'll find more tomato, you know, soup mm-hmm. almost taste to it. Uh, we've got one right now, which is like more kiwi also, um, and so kind of each region, each area, has its own kind of uh, flavor profile you can kind of say, but it definitely gets much more nuanced once you start getting into the the types and you know where the elevation is, and also the processing because within coffee, you have two primary processes: one is a natural process, the other one's a wash process, mm-hmm. and so natural process is that it ferments a little bit longer, more pungent um, and kind of more unstable, but then the wash is a little bit more stable
1: so are you growing a lot of robusta is that what it is that type of grape or or
4: no the majority of it is uh, arabica so arabica and i should have been more specific oh, arabica, and, uh, yeah. Arabica, uh, yeah ethiopia is the birthplace of arabica coffee mm-hmm. robusta can be found all over the world um and even right. now in west africa in togo and guinea you're finding more robusta and the thing is that because robusta does a lot better with climate change and stuff, there is a potential that you know the coffee industry may be moving into that area a little bit more we 've actually been playing with that a lot more ourselves as well, and saying how can we incorporate some robusta and uh, the the flavor profile is very different, mm-hmm. um, and the yeah, caffeine level is very... much higher <laughs> in robusta in robusta yeah yeah, but uh, yeah.
1: it's used a lot it 's used a lot in Europe. It much is more it in is. Europe than here.
4: It is. It is yeah. very much a more use uh, in Europe than it is here. And I think it, it's going to kind of force us to probably have to go into rubus. So it's like, let's get comfortable with it now. Right.
0: So your coffee roasting is much more blonde than I'm used to. It's one of the yeah. reasons I've always loved a, a cup of, some people call it Charbucks, I call it Starbucks. That's just, <laughs> That's a, I love that dark kind of, yeah. what other people call burnt flavor. I, uh, I just like it. So it's just a, maybe because I grew up on it. Tell yeah. us about your theory on the yeah. on layers of roasting.
4: Yeah, when it comes to roasting, you know, honestly it's all subjective, right? We all get to enjoy different things. I mean, there are times where I go for a dark cup of coffee as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are quite a few roasters that do it. We have a medium dark, we haven't gone Full dark yet, but we've got medium dark, so we're pushing ourselves a little bit further into it. Um, But uh, what it is is that, especially with the African coffees, you get more of the fruitiness, a little bit more development of the flavor profile of that coffee. uh, Versus by
0: not taking taking it too dark. By not
4: taking it too dark. Once you take it dark, it's kind of like you've gotten the. um, You get more of that that you know that darker taste, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very consistent. It's very much known, but uh, you know it's. I kind of liken it to like uh, you know onions, and you know it's like if I'm if I'm cooking onions, I don't want them to go too dark. Uh, I want them right. just right, uh, still a little juicy and sweet. Um, but uh, it's the same with coffee. And then also uh, sometimes this is this is this is a good good thing to kind of know. But a lighter roast coffee has higher caffeine level. Right. The more you roast it, the darker it gets, the more of the caffeine you've cooked out yeah. of it. So also to pack that caffeine punch in the morning to get going. Yeah, my my more mature <laughs> coffee friends always
0: chide me on my coffee f- taste. And, oh no. uh, yeah, yeah you know, I, I I need to grow up a little bit. No, ahead, Terry. no, no. Yeah, I'm,
4: Explore. I'm, I'm
1: definitely with you. From it's like 100 percent under roasted or what I call under roasted compared uh-huh. to most coffee on the market right now is my favorite. We yeah. have one right now. It's like totally like beautiful. Um, I call it dark roasted. You know, which is if you take a nut and you roast it, that's how far you want to take it. Right. I don't want to take it dark, like black, with all the oils on the outside. To me, I feel like if I go that far, I've already damaged the the bean. You have damaged the grape. You know, it's like it's it's the it does, cherry. It's, not it's a cherry. The, yeah. no yeah, Cherry. <laughs> cherry. The, sorry.
4: You 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 know, it's it's all about you know that. Whether uh, you know, it's kind of how you wake up and how you're feeling that morning, and so uh, I'll go between different things. But I definitely love my medium roast just right there in that nice spot. But
0: all right, uh, we only have a minute left. Tell us where
4: people can find your product, find you. I know
0: they can get a brewed cup, they can get a cup
4: here at Dahlia now. Yeah, I'm not sure if
0: we're we're selling it by the pound or not. I think
4: there's going to be retail bags too, yeah. 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 But
0: uh, where else can people find your
4: coffee? Buna Buna coffee, Buna Buna. We're down in Renton, yes, I know it's okay. The we're based in Renton, so our Renton is the flagship, is uh, where we have our roastery. So we roast all of our coffee there in downtown Renton and also a cafe. And then we just opened about a month and like two weeks ago uh, in Capitol Hill on 12th and James. Mm-hmm. And so we just uh, came into Seattle and. Really excited about that. So those are the two locations. And, of course, um, we're just entering into QFC grocery stores and uh, oh. uh, Central Co-op uh, and a few other places as well. So you know, a lot of places. And then online, of course, as well. Uh, we do have subscription models and things like that. And you get to rotate coffees. and It's a little discounted as well. So, yeah. it's Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. You're doing congratulations. a great job. Congrats. And, appreciate it. Uh, thank you both. appreciate, we appreciate the, it. the partnership whole team.
0: In our business, and uh, we hope to be able to further that along. Thanks to Ephraim Freshaha from from, uh, Boon Boon & Coffee. And up next, Carly Knowles is going to be here to tell us uh, the nutritional value of the best comfort foods, the ones that actually make you feel comfortable. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society. Thank you for joining us. We're here every week, Saturdays and Sundays. Uh... I appreciate your attention because we have something super important coming up. We have Carly Knowles here. She's one of our favorite nutritionists. She's got a book out called The Nutritionist's Kitchen and it's got it's filled with just fun little facts and figures about the foods that we eat and what's good and what's not. But also it's non-judgmental, which I really like about the book. It's just information, right Carly? Yep. That's
5: what we're here for, trying to at least. Yep.
0: Exactly, so Chef Terry, uh, I had asked uh, we, Pamela had asked Carly to come on and talk about comfort foods because we often get into that uh, area of conversation, and it occurred to us that many many comfort foods that we eat, uh, whether it's like I'm just got a craving for a Dicks burger with fries and a milkshake, or whether it's even uh, a homemade something a meatloaf or p- mm-hmm. pasta Alfredo, many of the comfort foods we eat are really comfortable going in but not so comfortable <laughs> after you've eaten, right? You kind of feel sick to your stomach. Oh, my God, mean, I can't believe I mean, ate that whole plate of yeah. food. Or You mean uh, the
1: next hour and a half laying down on the couch going, oh, my God, why did I do this to myself?
0: Yeah, so there's got to be some comfort foods that actually make you feel comfortable. And so Carly's going to help us uh, uh, maybe with some ideas about things we could make that are, are comforting comfort foods. Okay, Carly, take it away. Tell us what you got.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me. First of all, I always love being here. It's a fun group to join. Thank you. And yeah, and I love I love this question and you know, as a dietitian, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and I get asked um I get asked this question or a version of this question often, which is what food or which foods are going to make me feel good. And feeling good means a lot of different things for different people. Some people want to feel better digestive health so they don't feel bloated and sluggish. Other people want more energy. And the new one that I've been hearing a lot more, people have been asking a lot more in the last few years, is what which foods can I eat to make me feel better, like to make my mood better, Mm. to, to give me more energy and elevate my overall mood? And that one has been really fun. That's a, a new area of science that I'm just very interested in and um, we are learning a lot more about. Um, so there there really are. There, there's an answer to this. There really are foods um, that help with all those things, you know, whether it's the digestive again or depression even. But the answer is is almost the same for everyone, which is kind of funny because I just said like there's all these different ways, right? Right. but when the research comes back to a balanced diet. Now, I can say that and and feel like I understand a little bit more about what that might mean, but that's where we all get lost and scared and overwhelmed. Like, what does balance mean? And it looks a little, you know, it can look a little different for everyone. But really, what what is simple about it is that we're talking about some protein. We're talking about some fruits and vegetables. And we're talking about healthy fat and those complex carbohydrates, which are the, the carbohydrates that have a little more nutrition in them, like sweet potatoes and whole grains. And that combination of healthy fats, the protein, the complex carbs, that is what sustains us in so many different ways. Digestive health, brain health, energy, you name it. So, It's kind of simple. There's no secret in a way. There's really no secret. It's not that complicated. But yet that answer can, you know, that that can take a lot of practice to find what that balance looks like in your busy life, right? Because it's not always easy to get those those food groups on the plate.
1: Yeah, and I have definitely done a lot of that uh, paying attention to what I'm eating in the last few months. I've lost seven and a half pounds so far, knock on wood. I still have plenty to go, as you know. Uh, But um, uh, I'm doing, there's one thing I do is a a biller's broth for dinner often, which is basically zucchini, celery, parsley, and uh, one more greens, spinach or something like this. Anyway, it's just the whole thing is steamed, put into a blender, add some water, blend the whole thing up, and you have a base. But you know, you would be Mm -hmm. shocked how actually delicious that is. It's really easy to eat, it's, I mean, it's a. It's a soup, obviously. Just a little bit of, just a tiny bit of uh, finishing salt on top. It's really, really delicious.
0: Chef, tell me and that's not your whole dinner.
1: It <laughs> is the whole dinner. Tom, oh my man. god! Sometime, not every night, not every night, not every night, but sometimes, yes.
5: And that sounds delicious for you, you know, and for for you, yeah. Tom. That that's maybe not enough, and for someone else, you know, they might actually need a different a different nutrient in there. So we we actually know so I, that makes so much sense. Fruits and vegetables, specifically those veggies and herbs, like you mentioned, are full of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. Mm-hmm. And those are powerful. I mean, we take all these supplements and there's, you know, billions. It's a h- huge industry because people want these vitamins and these minerals. We know a lot about how they contribute to a, a healthy life and a healthy body and mood and all that stuff and keep us, you know defend us against all the crazy crazy things we're up against in the world but really where do those things come from? They come from our fruits and vegetables. They come from you know food which is really cool so supplements aren't bad necessarily it's just we have to remember the beginning of that place is in our food so we can help ourselves so much by taking supplements and some things we really need them for but if we don't figure out how to eat to support ourselves, then we're missing a really amazing opportunity to get more of those nutrients in.
1: Healthy guts, right? That's what you're looking for.
5: Healthy gut, yeah. We know a lot about a lot about how our gut is informing our mood specifically. That's a big one. I mean, in the last 10 years, probiotics, if you've heard of probiotics, a lot of us have, and what they are is the yeah. good gut bugs that healthy bacteria people are eating and supplementing with, we can actually find it in fermented foods. So kimchi, um, miso, yogurt even has cultures, which are those healthy healthy gut bacteria. We actually know that there's a link between our gut health and our brain health. So if we support our guts And we feed it these delicious probiotics in food and in supplement form that we're actually doing things like lowering the rate of depression. We're we're naturally probiotics help naturally produce tryptophan and serotonin, which help us combat depression. I mean, that's just one of like many, many things that probiotics can do. But it, it, it really is true. Like a happy, healthy gut is a happy, healthy brain that link is
0: very real awesome we're talking with carly knowles she's the author of the nutritionist kitchen and a, a, a contributor to our show fairly often now we love having you uh carly you say it's different for everyone terry just told us a little bit of a of a meal that he makes uh, not every night but certainly uh once or once or twice a week of uh, this kind of vegetable broth s- slash soup what makes you feel good carly is there something that you've come across that because it's different for everyone right what what Makes your mind clear and active and present and that sort of thing.
5: That's a great question. I'm glad you asked you know i it changes, and I think that's something about us that's really cool. We're dynamic right and mm-hmm. and the seasons affect our choices, our desires. Maybe there's more you know baby greens and and tender greens in the spring and summer that are really appealing, but when it comes to winter time, maybe we. Maybe we're not craving those things or maybe we love smoothies when it's warm out, but we don't like them when it's cold because we get too cold. So I think keeping an open mind so that we can all, you know, evolve and change throughout the year and from year to year, I think is really important. But there are some foods that I come back to time and time again, personally, that I that I just feel great overall. I, I, my energy is sustained. I feel like I'm doing something positive for my health. But here's the big giant asterisk exclamation mark! I'm not sacrificing right. flavor. You like it because I ref- I like it, and I I'm just I'm 36 years old. I am done eating food for other people for other reasons. Like I love food. I love the food I like, and I'm gonna make food I like. I don't the idea of eating health food that is tasteless and bland is not gonna happen. So <laughs> <laughs> so things I turn to, and you'll have.
1: I'm with you. Here have to, only, <laughs> yeah. We, we right? only have one life.
0: Right. Only okay, one Carly, life. Okay, Carly, you never Enjoy. said what it was, though. You never said what food. Okay, okay, okay. You only yeah, have, you so only have my, two, minutes. two
5: minutes. Two minutes. Here you go. It's, here you're going to have to help me pronounce it, but salmon and papillote. Papilo? Papillote?
1: Papillote. Papillote.
5: Papillote with seasonal vegetable ribbon. So it's a recipe I put in my book because it's something I make for the family, my family, often, and it's so easy. Um, it's Salmon in parchment paper pockets that you, you know, wrap around and create these little steam pockets and it steams salmon, but it's packed with flavor. There's vegetables, there's seasonings, there's a fat base. I use olive oil. You can use butter. You can change your protein. You can change the vegetables with the season. Kids love it. It's very tender, um, fall apart, you know, salmon without losing that yummy, fatty, rich quality. I, I just I love it, and it's so easy. You can use frozen fish to make it. You can use fresh. Um, it's, it's just really versatile. And then omega-3 fatty acids, which we know are in fish, like salmon, are linked to uh, helping us boost our mood. There's actually research behind that, that omega-3s can help us feel better and, and have a better outlook. So that's really great, too. Added bonus. All right. uh, We've been talking with
0: Carly Knowles. She's the author of The Nutritionist Kitchen. Carly's going to stay with us for a little Rub with Love tasty trivia. Uh, Hopefully, you will too. It's Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's uh, time for Food for Thought tasty trivia. I'm Tom Douglas.
1: And I'm Terry Rochero, the chef in the hat.
0: And the uh, trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love. Spice rubs and sauces. uh, They're made in small batches. They're versatile. Uh, We even have mustards. I got a toasted shallot mustard. And it adds a lot of zest and extra layers of flavor to any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store or specialty shops, butcher shops, online. Even Bartel Drugs sells them. Uh, or go to TomDouglas.com at The Last Resort. We carry everything, oddly enough, at our own website. You might be having a hard time finding those right now because we're struggling to find packaging, but it's a a pandemic-related deal, and that's all there is to it. Uh, Carly Knowles from our previous segment uh, is going to join us as our third victim. Uh, She is the (laughs) author of The Nutritionist's Kitchen, and she cleaned our clocks last time on the show, so we fully intend on making hay with her today Um, welcome back carly
5: thanks i'm excited this is always so fun
0: all right pamela tell us how we play the game and uh what our prize is and who's going to win it
2: each contestant is going to get five questions uh the one that gets the most wrong is the loser and pays for the shipping of the prize today which is a grill masters (laughs) set Ancho Molasses Barbecue Sauce, Smoky Barbecue Rub, and the Toasted shallot Mustard. Yum. Our winner mm. is Jim Rybal. Jim, sorry if I'm not pronouncing the last name right, but he says the show's his favorite part of his, Aww, his that's week. Sweet. Yay. <laughs> Yay. One of the cool things Thank about you, shucking Gene.
0: oysters out at the Seatown is that a lot of people who watch the show come up and say hi, because I'm often out there on Aww. Saturday and Sunday afternoons, and they most of the time they say to me... Why aren't you at the radio station? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that is often on Saturday. Then they come I to the restaurant and go, oh, I just heard you on the radio. Yeah. How, how could, come you're here? How could
2: you be here? <laughs> okay, let's do this. Let's do this. We start with Terry. Number yes. one, crackers have holes in them for a reason. What is the
1: reason? So they don't rise.
2: Close. We're going to give it to you. During the baking process, (laughs) uh, if the crackers has holes in them, it prevents the air bubbles from ruining the product. There you go. So I think that's a yes. Number two, farm salmon is dyed pink. Wild salmon is naturally pink. What gives wild salmon its beautiful color?
1: The food they eat.
2: Yep. More specific? maybe. Shrimps. Yep.
1: Shrimps and, and, uh, you know, anything of that pink color that's uh, found in the water. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you That's are on that. a roll today, Chef in the Hat. Number three, what is the red dye for Skittles made from? Hibiscus. <laughs> I oh, wish be- I would eat more Skittles. Oh, be- beetle juice. It's beetle, crushed beetles. Um, oh. Carminic acid, um, also used to color maraschino cherries and strawberry and raspberry soda. Number hmm. four, when did Russia... Classify beer as being alcoholic. <laughs> really?
0: when did, uh, uh, let's ask this question. When did somebody care?
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not yet. <laughs> um, oh my God. 1982.
2: 2013. And finally, what percent of the world's hazelnut production? goes into Nutella.
1: 62%.
2: Oh, high. Um, it's 25% okay. um, Hi. of the world's hazelnuts goes into Nutella, and there's such high demand. Universities are trying to grow them in labs now to negate global shortages.
0: All right, Carly. Mm. Well, if you ever drive around the Nutella factory uh, up oh. there
2: in northern Italy, there's hazelnut trees everywhere. everywhere. It's comforting. All right. Why are lima beans and in what state considered deadly?
5: Why are lima beans and in what state are they considered deadly? Now, when you
0: say in what state, do you mean cooked raw, that kind of state? Or yes. like what?
5: Yeah, so uh, raw, they, exactly. I would imagine there's an issue, yeah.
2: Okay. Because they have cyanide <laughs> in them, but if you cook them, oh. you'll be just fine. Uh, number uh-huh, two... Not all wine (laughs) Is not all wine is vegan. Name one of the ingredients commonly used in wine that is not vegan.
5: I don't I can't think of it, but I know there's some like milk or some dairy component, right?
1: I think egg whites. No, it's gelatin.
2: All three of those are correct. Whoa milk protein, Ah! egg whites, and gelatin. Uh, number three, Carly, does the FDA allow food to contain some amount of insects?
5: Uh, insects, yes.
2: Yes. Yes. True. Yes, and
5: I- like and like mystery particles, particulates. I know there's a, a percentage that you're allowed to have in most all foods. <laughs>
2: In some, it's uh, as high as 40% mystery bars.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Please don't tell me that's dark chocolate. No. <laughs> Thank God.
2: Peanut butter's a big uh, suspect product with Dang. mystery products. Number four, why does food taste different when you're flying?
5: Um, elevation and maybe like fluid balance and saliva production, something in that zone. Carly, are you just going
1: to keep going or she says you're right what? I, Louise.
5: I think we're going What
2: we're, kind of contest is this? We're giving it to you because it is uh, the altitude changes your body chemistry because of lack of humidity, lower air pressure, and... Even the background noise. So you're damn close for a yes. Oh my god! And finally, damn
5: close. Thank you. What
2: is the most consumed red meat globally?
5: Like uh, beef? Yes, is that what you mean? Beef or hamburger?
2: Yeah. No, the um, goat meat accounts for seventy percent of the red meat eaten globally. This is great news oh, because goats are better for you and for the environment. All right, Tom Douglas. All right. What food products did the Azteca and Mayans use as currency? What food products? Multiples? Is that what you're saying? I'll say, no. just. I'll pick one. Uh, cacao. Correct. Number two. Oh, why are peanuts a component In dynamite. (laughs) Because they give you gas?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect. Uh, uh, (laughs) They are a (laughs) legume.
2: Peanuts have an oil that is used as an ingredient while making glycerol, which is a main Uh, component of nitroglycerin. As
0: nitroglycerin, yes.
2: Um, Why do water bottles have expiration dates? Uh, Because the plastic breaks down. Exactly. Yes. Number four, honey... Is bee vomit true, true. or false? absolutely true? Why do chefs in Japan have to train for over two years in order to qualify to serve puffer fish? Because it's poisonous if
0: it's not handled correctly.
2: Yeah, I guess Terry's Yay. paying the shipping Terry's today. The shipping. Oh my Carly, God. you were wonderful!
0: <laughs> Thank you, Carly, and congratulations <laughs> to our winner. Uh, that's a super fun. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Tech is Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show, you can listen via podcast. Just uh, subscribe to your favorite podcast app.
1: Thanks for listening, and happy Father's Day.